in chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. The book of Revelation, again, is about, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ revealing His plans for the future. And in the first few chapters, at least chapter 2 and 3, He deals with some churches specifically. And then in the rest of the book, He reveals what He's going to do in the future. And there's a blessing for you to read the book. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy of this book, and keep those things that are written therein. Blessed is he that hears, reads, and keeps what is written there. There's a blessing in taking heed to this book. And we've been going through it section at a time, and now we're on the last of the seven churches. The church of Laodicea, known as a lukewarm church. So let's look at this here. This is probably the worst church here had several rebukes by the Lord. <clears throat> Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Let's read it. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." So let's, I hope we have an ear to hear, all of them, but particularly this one tonight. I told you this before, I remember some years ago, we were take, my family was on vacation, <clears throat> and we were, we were in Flagstaff, we've done Flagstaff vacation a couple times, but um, we were in Flagstaff, and we were like, all right, where are we going to go to eat? You know, we're driving around, where are we going to eat at, where are we going to eat at? And we, I thought, you know, let's... There's a Chinese food place right here, babe. Speaking to my wife, you know, there's a buffet. Chinese food buffet. And it was like, what was it, 10.30, 11 o'clock? Something like that. Kind of late morning. Enough for lunch. I can have Chinese food anytime. I'll eat it for breakfast. But anyways, I, it, was, it was kind of be an early lunch, you know. 
And they're just open. I'm like, let's go in here, you know? She's like, all right, all right, you know. So we, I think we had maybe the, our four oldest and then maybe, maybe John and Jim also at the time. So we had a, a crew here of us. And we go into this Chinese food restaurant. It was off of one of the main roads there. I can't remember the streets. And uh, we go in there. It wasn't one of these, like, it wasn't a Panda Express or something, maybe another bigger name where you'd recognize it. This was just kind of its own deal. Don't remember the name. So we go in there, and there wasn't very many people around. Where is everybody? It was big in there, too. The dining room was pretty big, and you could see the buffet thing out there. I don't think there was anybody. Was there anybody? Maybe, maybe another one or two people. Like, ah, it's okay. We're early, you know. Get the fresh stuff, you know. Cool. Get the first, you know. And so... Uh, we go in there and we pay and we start doing our, we sit down and pray. And then we let the kids go and we help a few of the younger ones get their deal. And we get our plate and everything and, and uh, we just start eating. And, and my wife's like, oh, babe, this stuff's not really, it's like it's not all the way heated up. And I always think, my wife's just kind of fussy with food. No big deal. I'm not going away at it. I'm like, Deb, it's fine. Just, you know, it's, maybe it's that. We'll go get it something else, you know. And I'm eating, and then I'm like, man, mine's kind of cold, too. And that my next, you know, I have a pile of this chicken, that chicken, that chicken, that chicken, a little bit of beef, some rice, you know, the beef because it had a vegetable in it. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, you know, at first, eh, it's okay. And then I try, oh, man, that one isn't that hot either. That one's not that. I'm like, man, this is not kind of, the rice was okay. And the kids, I don't think they cared. I mean, I don't know if they were that picky. But I agreed with my wife on that food issue right there. I'm like, man, this is kind of... And I don't know, what did we end up doing there? We didn't throw up, but um, it just wasn't good. We, I, I, we finished eating. That's what it, we finished eating. And uh, we thought, we're not going to come back here again. I mean, I might try it. Just be like, hey, I'll be merciful to them if I'm by myself. I'm like, let me just see. Together, we thought, uh, together as a family, we're probably not going to come back here again because it wasn't heated up properly. The food wasn't hot, you know. And, um, you know, it's just that you want it cold or you want it hot, pretty much. I mean, unless you're having a slice of bread or a piece of fruit that's on your counter or pulling from a tree, it's different. You know, it's amazing that I started thinking <clears throat> not all food is like this. You have dried goods that can sit in a pantry, but so much. Think of all the energy, literally, electri- uh, by way of electricity or natural gas. Think of all the energy and the inventions that are put out to keep food either hot or keep it either or cold. You got to have a good refrigeration, keep that stuff cold. You got to have, you know, an oven that heats upright or microwave or convection oven or whatever, all these other things, what do you, the, the, the little trays they put out under the water and it's heating up or whatever that is at the buffets, they make sure those are hot. You know, the, all the energy, because what are they doing with the cold or with the hot? They're constantly fighting against room temperature. We're going to fight against this becoming the temperature of everything else. We're going to fight against the cold becoming the room temperature. We're going fight to get, fight for the heat uh, we want to keep it hot because so, we're fighting against it becoming just room temperature. They're fighting against lukewarmness. And that's what we need to do spiritually. That's kind of the idea here is we naturally, we're saved. We're, there's a, there's a, if we just kind of let ourselves live 
in the flesh, so to speak, we're just going to become bland, lukewarm Christians, dispassionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. Now, you might be a person, that's what I found in Christian life, and as I've observed my Christianity and others, that you might be a person that gets very passionate about certain things. But just because you're passionate about certain things doesn't mean you're hot for God. So let's look at this, a Laodicean church is a lukewarm church. We want to go through it. We want to fight against, the purpose is to fight against the tendency to go lukewarm and see a passion, a hotness, a zeal for the Lord developed in our life. So we go through this outline, the address of the church, the attributes of Christ, the assessment of the church, the assignment to the church, and an announcement to all. Those are the kind of the five sections as we work through this. So let's notice this here. The address of the church. So it says unto the angel of the church of the Laodicea, the messenger there that's delivering this, and probably even perhaps the speaker. He's writing to that. The church of the Laodiceans. Look at verse 14, Laodiceans. Laodicea, again, was a, there was an old region of churches there in Asia Minor. Laodicea was the last of the seven. Um, this was named after, Laodicea was named after the wife of its founder, Antiochus II. I can't remember how many years previous to this. Laodice, Laodice, maybe it's probably pronounced Laodice or Laodice, is the name of a queen. Her name, whoever named her parents, whoever named her, and I think she was from an elite family. The name means rights of the people or... Uh, justice for the people, or, you know, the thing for the people, you know, that's what it means. So Antiochus, when he originally established the city, being this certain king of that region for a time, named it Laodicea. Paul wrote, and Epaphras influenced this city, pardon me, the church in this city, Paul and Epaphras influenced the church in that city at some level. If you were to read a few passages in Colossians, he wrote the book of Colossians and he said, hey, when you read this book, Colossae, make sure it gets read to those in Laodicea and in this other area. In AD 60, now I just talked about the city, then I talked about the church, and we talked about the city again. Listen to this. Anybody ever been in an earthquake? Some of us need to be in an earthquake. Kind of shake us up a little bit, all right? All right, in A.D. 60, there was an earthquake in this region, and Laodicea, Laodicea was destroyed. And this was probably about 30, 35 years before this epistle's written right here, this book of Revelation. It said that it was destroyed. Laodicea was destroyed. Now, who was ruling the world at the time? Rome. Rome was ruling the world. It had kind of governance over other subcultures. And uh, when it destroyed, so the city of Laodicea that the church is in, when it destroyed Laodicea in AD 60, 35 years before we have, we, this was written, Rome offered, could, I read this in more than one source, and it, so I think it's true, uh, coming at different angles, Rome offered, big government, the world government at the time, offered to help rebuild Laodicea. Oh, we're sorry, your, 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 your towns, your, your city's destroyed. And because it was an attractive place, had some assets there. And you know what the Laodicea, I mean, these people must have been like, these people must have been true, you know, 
almost sound American, at least what America used to be like. They said, we don't need your help. The Laodiceans said, we don't need your help. We got the wealth ourselves. We're going to rebuild it ourselves. Uh, that's kind of a kind of becoming. That used to be the that used to be a mentality in America. Now it's like, please help us with everything, you know. But they, the point is, is they were very wealthy. They said, we don't need Rome's help. We'll do it ourselves. They were rich and increased with goods as a city. It, it had been and as it rebuilt uh, the city of Laodicea, uh, history shows that there was a couple of. They had a few. They were. This was of, of okay. From what I read, this is probably the most attractive, secularly attractive city of the seven churches. Okay, all those seven cities were seven churches were in those cities. This city of Laodicea is probably the most attractive by way of it had some medical, apparently medical institutions or schools of some sort where they treated people that involved hot springs, involved there was an eye salve that they used to help treat people's eyes, and there was like some kind of hospital or medical school. So they were health conscious. They're, the economy was good in Laodicea. There was, in fact, it said they produced different fabrics, and one of them being like a dark wool, a very dark wool. It was almost so dark it looked purple, had kind of a, almost a purple hue. And they produced other garments to where it was exported and it was attractive. It was almost like they were uh, produced stylish clothing. One guy actually said that. He goes, this was like a a place where you want to get your clothing here. It's stylish to have something produced from Laodicea. Um, they had a stylish type of a culture. They were wealthy, as we mentioned. They exported their garments. That's kind of an idea of what this address is like. They had riches. Now, this is the city. Now, the church was something different. Let's look how Jesus addresses himself. Number two, the attributes of Christ. We, we consider the address that Lada is getting familiar with the city itself. Number two, the attributes of Christ. There's three things he says about himself. Notice, who's writing? These things saith the Amen. Jesus calls himself the Amen. You know what that means? The word Amen means, let it be. It means, that's the last word. It means affirmative. When somebody, when the pastor says, and all everybody said, amen, that means affirmative. At least you're acting like it, right? And it's good to have some amens. It means, I, that's right, I affirm that. Jesus is the affirmation of all the truth of God. He is the amen of God. In other words, everything that God has said, Jesus shows up and it's like, a, well, that's an amen to everything God said. That's what Jesus is. He's the amen of all of God's words. Amen. That's what he says of himself. These things saith the amen, the affirmation of God, the final statement of God. What else does Jesus call himself? He calls himself, look at next, the faithful and true witness. He is a trustworthy and dependable testifier. You know, sometimes you ask your, your kid, I mean, a couple of my boys went fishing a few weeks back and they, they caught a fish and they're bragging about it. And again, it's like they always say, that fish is getting bigger every time they tell that story. The fish was this big, Dad! Well, you told me it was that big last week, you know? And we have that tendency to not be as, to exaggerate or to, our mind, you know, exaggerates and so expresses, comes out our mouth. We have that tendency to not always be as faithful and true in our witness, but we're supposed to be. Jesus is faithful. He's the faithful and true witness. What he says, what he reads, that he testifies when you read the gospel, he, everything he's saying is true. 
Everything he's saying to these churches is true. He's a faithful and true witness. In other words, everything that Jesus says in the church of Ephesus and Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira and all these other, and Sardis, everything he sees and says, he's true. He's not, a, he's not, you ever get a doctor that evaluates you? I'm like, I don't know if that doctor sees things right. Jesus is the doctor of these churches and he sees it exactly right and he's saying it exactly right. And some of us are like this church. What else does he call himself? He's the amen. He's a faithful and true witness. He's also, notice what he calls himself, the beginning of the creation of God. <clears throat> the beginning of the creation of God. That does not mean that Jesus as a person was the first thing created. He was not. His personhood, his sonship, though it's difficult to grasp, his sonship has been from eternity according to the scriptures. Forever and ever, his body was created at Bethlehem, or by the time we see him coming forth at Bethlehem. But he is always, so it's not saying he's the first one that was ever born in a family. I'm the first one. It's not like that. When it says, these things saith he that is, the scripture says, is the beginning of the creation of God. It means the word beginning is, it's the word where you get the word like ark, or arche is like a leader, or, uh, an initiator. Jesus, here's what it means. It means Jesus is the one who commenced an initiated creation. As it even says in, in Colossians, it says, for, for by him were all things created. It says it in John, by him were all things created. But it says that Jesus created all things. In fact, I'm going to get it right. Let's go to Colossians 1 so I can quote it rightly, that it's referring to Jesus being the one who created all things. So it says, Colossians 1.15, listen to what it says about Jesus. He initiated the creation. It says that Jesus in Colossians 1.15, who is he? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That means he's the most prominent. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. Jesus Christ is from eternity, but He was the one who initiated creation. Just like George Washington existed. So when's the birthday of our country? 1776. George Washington existed before that. But he was kind of like the initiator in the sense of our first president. You know, I know that they, a group of them initiated the, with the, the Declaration of Independence and all that. But it was like he was our first one to, to lead us forth as a country. So also Jesus initiated creation. That's who he is. That's his attributes. So let's look at number three, the assessment. Now here's where we're going to get into kind of a diagnosis or we call it assessment. Look what he says. He begins to assess the church. The third point here. I know thy works, verse 15, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. <clears throat> so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Wow. He has two main assessments that's negative. They're lukewarm and they're self-satisfied. They're lukewarm and they're self-satisfied. What does it mean to be lukewarm? 
What does it mean to be lukewarm? We mentioned it a little bit, but it means to be tepid by way of temperature. But what does it mean in spirit to be lukewarm? Somebody want to respond back to me? What does it mean to be lukewarm in one's spirit or attitude or personality? What does that mean? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Just, yeah. Don't speak up, okay? What else does it mean to be lukewarm? You're not hot. You're not cold. What are you? Apathetic. What else is lukewarm? Boring. Emotionless. Indifferent. Uneager. I remember, it just came to my mind, I remember, I think I've told you this before too, but I remember that um, in 1991, I went to my first year of teen camp at West Branch, and I remember Ron Comfort, he's the president of Ambassador Baptist College in North Carolina, and Adam's brother Wesley went there. We've had their tour group in here before. Ron Comfort is an evangelist. He had just started the school, I think, in the late 80s, so it was only a couple years old. And he came as the guest speaker to teen camp. There was like 200 teenagers <clears throat> at this teen camp that summer. And he preached, and he just he's preaching to them. And then as a kind of as a, not his main reason for being there, but he would tell them, listen, we have, a, we have a Bible college, but his is special. He says, we have a college, it's, and he's not trying to be like every other college. He says, we have a Bible college for those who want to be a preacher, a pastor, evangelist, or missionary. And you ladies, if you know you want to be married to a pastor, evangelist, or missionary, or you want to be, if not, be very, very much involved in ministry, then this is what our school's for. He's not, saying there's nothing, he's not saying it's bad if you have a Christian college that broadens itself to liberal arts. He's not saying that. He's just saying this is the college that we're going to have. It's narrowed for preachers and, and ladies who are going to go that way by way of a pastor's wife or ministry. And I remember him because it was different for me because I've heard other people, they come up and they, they do their um, thing of, of um, um, kind of a, Spill, here's our college, and we have this, and we have this, and we have this fun thing, and that fun thing, and that fun thing, and that fun thing. Don't you want to go? You know? And uh, he wasn't like that. He goes, we have a Bible college. It's for preacher boys. And if you don't need business with God, I really don't care if you don't go there. I mean, that was kind of like his attitude. If you're not serious about I'm not going to beg you to go. That was his attitude. I'm not begging you to go there. It doesn't hurt my feelings if you don't go. But if you mean business about serving God, and you know God, or you think God might want you to be a pastor, then you, then you should consider this. But he's like, I'm not going to walk around and beg you to come here. And that's how it's been. They've always had a small student body, and the guys that are there want to be there. He's not trying to beg lukewarm Christians to get over there so he can try to warm them up. Um, so anyways, the Lord says, you're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. That church is tepid. There's no zeal. There's, they're emotionless, passionless. He says, I would you were hot or cold. Now this is one of these... This moment right here, I'm going to tell you, is a, there's a couple different interpretations of this. And when he says, I would you were hot, or I would you were cold, but you're lukewarm. There's two interpretations, and I think they're both fair to have. 
And that is, the first interpretation is the Lord saying, I wish you were on, that you were pa- full of passion for me because the word hot is the same word you get the word zeal. I wish you were that, or I wish you were just cold. Just, it'd be easier if you're just cold against me. That's the first interpretation. That was always my first impression, and, and I think that's what I'm coming back to. The other interpretation is the Lord saying, I wish you were cold, that is, because cold can be useful. I wish you were hot, hot certainly can be useful, but you're lukewarm. And it appears that I think the Lord is saying, it's almost worse, I think that's the former one where he's saying, you're neither, you're not cold against me, and you're not hot for me. I think that's what he's getting at, because it's almost like people who are cold against the Lord, at least they can be aware of it more. Because they hardened against... I mean, what was the thing? You know, when Jesus was up on the cross, there was two men who reviled... Two men, one on each side, reviled him. They were both cold against him. But one turned, didn't he? What is it? Left or right? I don't know which side. But one of them turned and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. One went. He, was a, he became acutely aware of his state and turned to the Lord. Saul of Tarsus was certainly cold against Jesus Christ. And he became acutely aware of it when the Lord confronted him. He's like, I'm turning. Lord, what do you want me to do? So the Lord said, I think that's the the idea. It's like, it's almost better if you were just cold against me. Because they weren't against Jesus. They were a church. And they weren't hot for Jesus either. Because he says, you're not even hot. You think about it in the Bible, there's... The thief on the cross seemed to be cold against Jesus, but turned. Saul certainly was cold against Jesus, but turned. And you have men like John, who was close to Jesus, walked with Jesus, the Apostle John who wrote this, and also the Gospel of John, who was close to Jesus' breast and, and knew him well. He enjoyed closest to him. He was hot for Jesus. But then you have the lukewarm person like a Judas. He had enough of Jesus so nobody would doubt him. But he wasn't real. They had enough of Jesus so that he looked like a disciple. Middle of the road, trying to play both sides, but he wasn't real. I remember this. There was a guy, this is years ago, his, <clears throat> I knew his sister came to our youth group some. Actually, she was even in our church for a while. But her brother went to a Christian school, and uh, the Christian school they would have... Uh, at the beginning of the year, they'd have a preacher come and do kind of like a little revival for the Christian school to help fire up the kids. And I remember this one kid, I don't know what grade he was, he was in high school at the time, but he voiced this to his sister. He says, you know, I don't, he goes, he says, I want to be, um, he, he, he knew this. He says, I know God says, I wish you were, would you be cold or hot? And he says, I feel like everybody around me at this Christian school is lukewarm. He goes, I'm just going to be cold against the Lord. And he wasn't going to try to play like he was being somewhat of a Christian. In other words, he's going to give his life all out to Jesus Christ and be distinctly his. He's like, I'm just going to be against him. He professed to be a Christian. I don't know if he really was. But he made a decision because he had enough sense to know this is disgusting to God. I'm not going to be like these kids at my Christian school. I'm not even going to act like, you know, one thing at school, another thing when I'm other place. And I remember thinking, boy, but, I, but when he said that, this is the thing that got, when he said that, I thought, I can talk to this guy. 
I feel like I could talk to this guy because he knows what he is. Whereas right here, like, well, I don't hate God. I believe in God. But I'm not going to be like one of these crazy Christians that really lives for God. I'm just going to be a perfect, put God to sleep or put people to sleep lukewarm. And uh, the Lord says, that's what you're like, Laodicea. I don't know exactly how that looked like, but probably when you came to the Laodicean church, well, it's fair to say they probably had a nice building. They were rich. They were increased with goods materially. They had a nice facility. It's fair to say. It's fair to imagine that. They probably had the latest, greatest of whatever that day was. You know, the best chariots in the parking lot. The best door, the best whatever. If they used a pulpit or not, we don't know. Um, and uh, perhaps decent attendance, good offerings, rich, increased with goods. The community didn't bother them. And the Lord would go in and, and the temperatures, spiritual the Lord was like, oh. look what he says. Because, look at it, it says in verse 16, because thou art lukewarm, you're just passionless. You're bland, you're apathetic. Because of that, look at verse 16, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Again, I spew does not mean, just go, it's not the same word for spit. It means vomit. You're like, oh, I hope pastor doesn't tell vomit stories. Vomit. I want to throw up. I told you this morning, I went and grabbed a lukewarm cup of milk one time when I was a kid. I went like this, and I, oh, and I just, I spit it out in that occasion. I didn't throw it up. <clears throat> There's a, I, I didn't write down the word, but maybe Steve can help me on this. What's the name of a, an agent that helps you vomit? It's like a, um, there's a medical word for it. I read it today. He's like, oh, I don't want to tell everybody. Basically, lukewarm water with salt can, huh? Charcoal. Charcoal helps. Well, there's a medical term. It was weird when I was looking it up online. I'm like, why do they keep showing me stuff for dogs? Do dogs need to be thrown, make the throw up or something? It's weird. But anyways, there's a term for something that you give yourself that'll help you vomit because you need to. And whatever the term is that I forgot is, doesn't matter, but go ahead. That's a, that's a, a that's an actual medicine, but there's a general term for those descriptions. I don't know if that was it. But, but here's the point. Thank you for some feedback, though. Here's the point. They say one thing that can help. I mean, there's medicines that you guys are mentioning, uh, but kind of like some tepid water with some salt, stir it, can help just somebody go, ugh. You ever, you, you have, come on, all right, listen to me. If you ever get to where you're like, ugh, it needs to go this way or that way quick. Yeah. Uh, one, can we make a decision here? You know? <laughs> this way or that way. And, uh, and, and you, you do the, uh, I mean, whatever. So oh, I got a story for you, but I can't tell it. Anyways, uh, but, you know, you give, sometimes they say something lukewarm will help trigger that. Oh, ah. If it's really cold or really hot, it may not help, but something lukewarm may help you trigger a vomit. And they, they, the Lord was triggered by this lukewarm church. We throw up stuff because 
Our body detects something toxic or harmful in our body, in our stomach. So before we move on to the next point, think of, let's ask ourselves this. For us as a church and individually, what, does, what do I taste like to the Lord? What does my Christianity taste like to the Lord Jesus Christ? What does our Christianity, what does Royal View Baptist Church taste like to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we hot? Are we cold? Or are we just kind of like, yeah, we're in the middle? In our prayer, in our song, in our devotion, in our service, in our friendliness, are we hot or cold? In our efforts, are we hot or cold? But the Lord says here, you're, you're, you're lukewarm, I want to throw up. And then he says this, here's his other assessment. His, first, that they are lukewarm in their works, and now that they, they're self-satisfied in their attitude. Look what it says there. Um, because thou sayest, I am rich, verse 17, and increased with goods and have need of nothing. The Lord says, I have, I have something against you because you say you're rich. You say you're increased with goods and have need of nothing. And know it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That is, they saw themselves apparently, maybe it was just more of a socially way. They're like, look, we're fine. Look at our building. Look at ourselves. We're well-to-do. We, we don't need anything. We're kind of like our city residents. When they had an earthquake and Rome offered to help, we said, we got it handled. So also when we hear about a, something, some, you know, uh, maybe a, a spiritual truth, we, oh, we're fine. Maybe a preacher, an evangelist of their day comes through, oh, we're fine, we're good, we're good. We don't need to hear any of that. We're fine, look at us. They were self-satisfied. Self-satisfied and, and there's, a, there's a certain, this is weird, there's a certain type of, Hunger we need to always keep in our Christianity. I'm happy where God is, put me, where I'm at. I'm trying to adapt. That's what the word content means. Just adapt. Adapt where you're at. But I'm also hungry to grow, to reach, to love, to make a difference, to bear some more fruit in my character, to grow up, to be more like Jesus. I'm hungry for that. I'm not satisfied from that standpoint. I'm striving. I'm not apprehended, but I'm striving for the goal of being like Christ and living for Christ. So there's a certain satisfaction, satisfaction that we shouldn't have. But they were satisfied. And now notice his assignment to them. Now, this assignment is interesting. In verses 18 and 19. Now, <clears throat> I think what is happening here is this church of Laodicea, by and large, is lost people because of the language he uses here. He says... Well, verse 17, he said, you're rich and increase of goods. You don't know, verse 17, look at the end of verse 17. You don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee, here's his assignment, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. It's interesting how... The Lord says several things that actually speak as if, okay, so he, he says things that are parallel to the benefits of their city. Their benefits of their city, they had an eye salve that people would go to Laodicea because some kind of eye salve that people would put on their eyes to help them see better or heal something. 
Um, they had nice clothing. People would go there to get nice clothing or have it exported and they'd receive it and buy it. They had, their, the economy was good in that city, but the Lord, for them spiritually, they thought that was the same of them. Well, we're fine. We see fine. We're good. We're good. And so the Lord says to them, you, you, you need some gold from me. You need some white clothing from me. I counsel thee to buy of me. Buy, when we buy of the Lord, it's free. Come buy it without money, without price, according to Isaiah, it says, 55. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. It, it appears that it's people who don't even know the true righteousness of believing on Jesus Christ as their Savior. The true riches of personally knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. When I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I have the gold of God. When I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, guess what I have? White, I not only have clothing, I have white raiment, which is the idea of there's nothing on me. There's no imperfection. Amen. When I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, my nakedness is covered Amen. of my own so-called righteousness, which is none, but rather sinfulness. It gets covered. When I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, my eyes are open. And I see, and I was blind, but now I see. I see now, yeah, I see who God is, and I see who I was, and I see where I'm going. And now I can see when I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, these symbols are something that I have. And it appears that most of the church did not have that. And he says, I counsel you, get that from me. And then he says his counsel is to be zealous and repent. Look what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. The word zealous is the, the, the root word of zealous is the word hot. Be enthusiastic, therefore, and repent. Change. Change, church. Turn around, he says. This is interesting. Notice verse 19. The Lord says, as many as I love. Think about this. Think about the worst church. He loves this church still. I love this church. The Laodicean church. I love you still, Laodicea. Most of you aren't, don't even know that you're lost. You're self-righteous. I want to vomit when I'm there. But I love you, and I'm trying to help you. That's why I'm rebuking you. By the way, kids, this, is a, this, this phrase that the Lord Jesus Christ says, it is, a, it is a quote of Proverbs 3 where a father says this to his son. Uh, kids, if your parent reproves you and rebukes you, gives you a little chastening, maybe a little sting on the, uh, of a punishment or of a, of a spanking occasionally, it's because they love you. If they neglected that, the proverb says they hate you. You don't chasten your son, you hate him. When you chasten them often, the times, that means you love them. And the Lord says, look, in church, I, 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 who likes to be the person, you know, everybody wants to be the cool, fun guy. Hey, hey, man, yeah, good. Nobody wants to add the balance of rebuke and exhortation or chastening, and the person who really, really loves you will love you enough to disturb you for a while, make you upset it, make you upset at them, and they'll bear through it because they love you so much, they want to help you. And the Lord said, perhaps Laodicea was upset at this. Perhaps they said to their messengers, like, why did you bring us that message? He said, I'm just the messenger, not the message. Oh, maybe they were mad, but the Lord says, as many as I love, I love you. I'm going to rebuke and chasten you. I want to purge out a Laodicean lukewarm church. So that's his assignment. And then the announcement. Let's walk through these. 
The last point, the announcement. He has an announcement in verse 20 and 21, 22. Here's the announcement about knocking at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And this verse has been applied to salvation. It's been applied to a church that locks Jesus out. It's been applied to several different things, uh, or at least a few things. But here, I think what the Lord is saying here, He's making an individual appeal to anyone who would accept Him if they're, if they're lost, or if they're a Christian, who would, who would rejoin Him in a close relationship. There's a few reasons why a church would be lukewarm. Because there's a lot of lost people in there and Jesus doesn't live inside. Or it's because there's, a, there's, there's perhaps mostly Christians there, but they don't sup with him. They don't fellowship with him. He's kind of at arm's length from him. If our corporate worship is dead, it's because our private worship is dead. So the Lord makes an appeal. Hey, anybody listening out there, Laodicea, whoever wants to come to a close relationship with me again, I'm knocking on your heart's door. I'm knocking on the door of your life. If any man, anyone, and he's speaking, this is an individual appeal. If any man will hear my voice, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Just imagine if you were in the church of Laodicea, and perhaps you were a Christian, and, and uh, you realize, yeah, this place is kind of lukewarm, man. I just wish everybody else would just get on fire for God. And I just, if it only this, and there's other churches, if only these other churches, Christianity nowadays is, blah, 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 and you just complain about the nowadays and the Christianity and the isms and all the things that everybody else, and the Lord says in this epistle, hey, I'm knocking on your heart's door. Why don't you open the door? I'll come close to you. I will come in and sup with you and he with me. Well, in other words, why don't you take care of your own Christianity? I, you know, it's my responsibility. This is what I realize as a pastor. I have a responsibility for this congregation and for my, my, my life, my walk, my Christianity, helping my families in this, in this congregation. But I, I cannot try to control the waves and the isms and the of all the, what happens out there in all of Christianity. And I, I, and I don't even want to waste time writing books and articles on how to fix fundamental. Why? It's a waste of time. I can't do anything about it. All I can do is help where I am, my family, and the church has called me. I have to help this. And if maybe uh, uh, 10,000 other pastors or Christians or a million other Christians say, I'm gonna, I can't fix everything else in the country, but I'm going to fix the, pe- the person standing in these shoes... And if we all decided, of course, that would help. But we're responsible for our own Christianity. And the Lord stand at the door and knock. It's like the Lord saying, think about this. Think about this. Let's just kind of shift gears. There's some churches, there's a sign and there's a, there's a regiment and there's a liturgy and there's all kinds of things and there's money and there's offerings and there's some sort of worship, but it's just lukewarm. Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there. And he says, I, I want to knock on the door and be in the life of that person and, and in the life of that person, and in the life of that person. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, we can establish a personal relationship together. So then he says, here's another thing. Here's an announcement. We're moving along here. To him that overcometh, one who believes on him has overcome. Here's the benefit of that. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, 
even as I also overcame and then sat down with my father in his throne. How many of you kids want to sit in the driver's seat of your vehicle? Look at that. Amanda does. He's like, I want to, I want to drive. Who says, how many of you, your dad, all right, how many of your dad lets you drive? Dad lets you drive, Johnny. Yeah, like this far on our driveway. Johnny, just pull it up a foot. Yeah, cool. He's all excited about it. No, I've actually let him drive a little bit more than that. But. How many of you, your, your dad will let you drive maybe, you know, if you're on a dirt road or something somewhere? Anybody like that? Johnny? Yeah, see, Johnny knows. One time we were at West Branch and... Um, I think I let, oh, Michael and Gideon, I think I let them drive because West Branch is private property and I didn't tell Brother Troy. <laughs> Sorry, Troy, if you're watching this, but anyways. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. One time we were at, uh, you go to um, the Natural Bridge. How many of you have been to the Natural Bridge north of Payson? That's beautiful. I think it's closed now for a little while. But we went there one time and we were out in the parking lot down there and Johnny was just like four or five years old. Nobody is in this parking lot. It's a pretty big parking lot. And we were at the end, and we already did the, the hike down there, and we got back in the van. We actually had, a, I think it was our minivan at the time. And I'm like, all right, Johnny, you can sit on my lap. And I mean, the kid's been asking me to drive since he's four. I mean, <laughs> he get, I let him on the lap, and I'm like, all right, Johnny, you can steer. And, and there's nobody around, and I have my other kids, you know, the four older, older ones, Michael, Joe, Gideon, Susie, in the van. And, and Johnny's going like this. He thinks he's all excited. And they have these wild javelina there. The occasional just kind of go around, even in the parking lot on the side. And he's going like this, and he's like, hey! He lets go of the string and goes, look at those piggies over there! <laughs> and then I knew, and I, and I played like, oh, we're going to crash. I'm like, oh, Johnny, we're going to crash. Because he let go of the string and went to drift like this. I'm like, oh, no, Johnny, we're going to crash. He goes, look at those piggies over there. I'm like, no, not the piggies. Grab the string wheel, you know? And so that was kind of fun. Everybody laughed, you know. Was, they wouldn't have laughed if there was cars around. I wouldn't have let him do it if those cars around. But, you know, it's fun to be in the driver's seat. Oh, I got to sit here with Dad, you know. Um, when, I, when, I was, um, when I worked for my dad, we had several customers that would, we did a car for a guy, I'll just mention to him, mention him to you, there's a guy named Bruce. He was really tall. I mean, he was like, he's like 6'6". Six, six. Remember this guy, Bruce? Was he a firefighter? I don't remember if he was a firefighter or not. I think he was a firefighter. And he had, the, this guy was tall, and he had this car that was like this tall. It was like a something, 30-something Ford. Was that a Chevy? Okay. And um, 34 Chevy, and it was, we call it tubbed. All right? That means it was like a drag car, but it was a small car. He had big, fat tires. Like one of the rear tires is like this wide. The other one's this wide, and they're like this far apart from each other. And, thousand, that one had, a, that's right, it had supercharged. That was supercharged. And this guy was like 6'6", and he gets in this car. He gets in this little car, you know, this 34 Chevy. And, um, and it had a wheelie bar in the back, too. It, it, they put those on drag cars because uh, if it had so much horsepower, it could flip up like this. So I had a wheelie bar to keep it from flipping back. And, and we did that for him. And he says, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll, uh, when you're done, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a ride in it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I've had guys tell me that before. Like, yeah, when I'm done, I'll come back and give you a ride in that thing. I'm like, okay, cool. And they wouldn't. And then that guy, another guy tell me, another guy tell me. Well, when we finished with his, he took me for a ride. It was pretty cool. It was fun. We had another guy. Um, there's a couple of them I wrote down. I'll just tell you this, this, this one. There's another guy we did work for. His name was Lou Lane. 
And he had a 1930 or 20, what was that truck? 1928 Ford truck, pickup truck. He actually had an original license plate, Arizona license plate. It was pure copper, the license plate. And he had it stripped clean and polished. The copper was polished. I mean, it was shiny when he was done. And then he had it painted the, the, the short number and letter of that back then. But he had this old uh, truck, and my dad, we did a paint job on it, and um, that was a nice one, actually. He won second to the world's most beautiful roadsters at a show in, in um, San Francisco one year. And it wasn't all because of us. He did a lot of things, nice, nice things to this thing. But he told me, he says, hey, when I'm done with it, I'm going to take you for a ride. And again, I've had other guys tell me that but never do it. And uh, sure enough, when we finished Lou Lane's uh, pickup, he came back and he drove up in that thing. And um, again, he... Um, it was a show truck, but he made it a go truck. And he said, come on. And it, didn't, it, had, a, it had a removable top, movable hard top that he had made for it. He said, come on. So I got in it. Man, it was fun. He took me for a ride. We went over to a Dairy Queen. He got me something. And we came back. And that was pretty neat. You know, it was pretty neat. And I thought, that, that's nice of him, you know. And the Lord says uh, something about his throne. A throne is much more than just having a, a, a hot rod or a nice car. Some of us kids would like to sit in a nice car, you know. The Lord says, look at, again, the, what's the language? Sit with me in my throne. You can sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. Now think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, died on the cross for us, was buried, rose from the dead, and the Lord... God the Father exalted him and put him on the throne and said, he's king, he's a winner, he's an overcomer. And he sat down in a throne at the right hand of the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, whoever believes on me is an overcomer, and I'll grant with you to sit with me at my, well, the language is, with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. In other words, he's going to treat us as just as much of a conqueror He's going to treat us as just as much of a winner as He is. If we believe on Jesus Christ, we're going to be just as much of a winner over the whole world as He is. He's defeated death and sin and the devil who is powerful than all of us. He defeated Him and He's sitting down at that throne and He says, anybody believes on me, you're going to be treated just as much of a winner as I am. Wow! By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He says, I'll be back. I'll take you. You come sit with me. That's the lukewarm church. They needed to hear all that. So a couple things. Ask yourself, am I hot for God? Am I hot? Do I have zeal for the Lord? Or am I, am I cold? Say, I'm not hot, Pastor. I'm not cold. Well, there's only one other option. I don't want to be lukewarm, you say. I don't want to be that either. What helps me stay hot for God is stay close to God. You stay close to the Lord, helps you stay hot for God. Stay walking with Him. Stay under things that, whether it's me or somebody else, stay under Bible preaching and teaching that challenges you and, and challenges you and pushes you. I feel sorry for the person who only does things that they can do, who only hears things that they can handle. I feel sorry for that person. We need to constantly be doing things that push us a little bit. 
hearing Bible preaching that challenges us a little bit more to stay, to keep us kindled and hot for the Lord. Stay engaged, stay challenged, stay walking with Him, and that helps us stay hot for God. Stay loving Him.